We pray right now, God, that you would open up the eyes of our hearts. That you would illuminate these words. That you would speak in a way that only you can to each of us. And God, with all the things, all the trappings of this world, all the distractions of life, all the suffering, all the momentary moments that we find ourselves in, Lord, I pray right now, God, that by your hand, we would be able to unplug from those things and have hearts that are just eager and open to hearing from your word. Have your way. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, today we are in the back last paragraph of Romans chapter 8. And I believe that this text in particular is one of those, what I would like to call an amen moment kind of text. Now, I know if you're like me and you come from a more uh, a certain church tradition, the word amen, in particular in a worship service, is a little uncomfortable to you of actually speaking out and saying amen back, right? We tend to be more of, hey, we're just going to kind of listen, and, and I know some of you are a little bit more vocal, um, but my prayer today as we work through Romans 8 is that we would maybe be a little bit more responsive. I truly believe that this passage is meant to be a passage where the people of God, uh, together, the beloved, are crying out amen together to the truths of who God is. Amen? Thank you, Steve. Good. That's good. Good practice. Amen in scriptures in the Bible dictionary, it says this. This is a word that means surely. And it's from a meaning to be firm, to be steady, to be trustworthy, to say like, like you know when you hear something and it's like you feel like they're reading your mail? Or you feel like, oh my goodness, I, I, I totally resonate with that. That is so true. Can I get a witness? Can I get an amen? You yell out or, you, or your heart yells out, amen. I believe that is true of this passage that we're reading today. So to get you kind of a little used to the amen, I thought I would share some of my um, more worldly amens that I would encourage you to agree with me about and see if I'm alone here. For example, In-N-Out is the best fast food hamburger on the planet. Amen. amen. How about this? Driving the speed limits in the fast lane should be illegal. Amen? What about this, parents? Giving homework over the weekend should be a crime. Amen. amen. Can I get an amen? Children, in particular, you five children there. <laughs> Drinking water after being tucked into bed and getting up and saying you need water is a scam. <laughs> we know what you're up to kids. And finally, this one might be a little bit more controversial, but I feel pretty uh, convicted about this. Christmas music, decorations, Hallmark movies, anything before Thanksgiving is too soon. Okay, I see some shaking their heads. I see Stacy back there shaking her heads. I believe today as we look at Romans 8, there's a ton of amens here. And I hope that as we reflect on these truths that we would not miss this. In this passage, we see 
Paul opens up in verse 31. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He's, when he says, what shall we say to these things? He's, he's talking about chapters five through eight, all that he's unpacked with the, the blessings of the gospel and the blessings that come in all shapes and sizes and the blessings that are true in persecution and in suffering. And he's writing to the church and he's, and he's writing about these things and he's calling them to, to remember who God is. He says, what shall we say to these things? What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. If God is for us, who can be against us? Paul just talks about the, the incredible sovereignty of God. The incredible truth in verse 30 that God, before the creation of the world, he foreknew. And, and those that he foreknew, he predestined. And those that he predestined, he called. And those that he called, he justified. And those that he justified, he will glorify. And you see this wonderful chain of the incredible goodness of the Father. We're reminded of our call to be adopted as sons and daughters of the King. And God is calling the church, reminding the church that if God is for us, all of these things that may be momentary are nothing compared to who God is. John Chrysostom, one of the great uh, church fathers in the Reformation said this, yet those that be against us, so far are they from thwarting us at all that even without their will they become to us the causes of crowns and procurers of countless blessings in that God's wisdom turneth their plots unto our salvation and glory. See how really no one is against us. Or as Paul says in verse 28, for God works all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. If God is for us, who can be against us? This is an amen moment. And as I'm looking at this, and, and, and Paul makes this statement in calling the church to this confession of faith, he unpacks with really four proofs, four evidences, four encouragements to you, the believer, who maybe you're wondering, well, is that enough? What does it mean for God to truly before me, that God is for me. And so uh, as I was looking at this and reflecting on these four truths, I, 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 I think I found a way where it really helped me to really internalize this through the acrostic amen. And the first is the A, amazing grace. One of probably the church's favorite songs. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. If God is for us, who can be against us? Evidence, number one, look at the grace of God. Look at what he says here. He, God, who did not spare his own son, 
but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul says, look at what God did. In his benevolence and his sovereignty, he sees us in our misery and in our pain, and he sends his son, perfection, to us to take on our sin so that we could be saved. Do you not see the amazing grace? He says, that same gift that God gave, giving his son for God's soul of the world, that what? He gave his only son. That grace, would he not, out of the same abundance of his heart, give us all things? Jesus wrote about this or, or, or taught about this in the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever written, ever delivered. He said this in Matthew chapter 7. He says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? He says, look at who God is. If God is for us, who can be against us? And God, think about how he thinks about you. Think about what he thinks about you. You who are evil, you give love to give good gifts to your children. I know my, my kids, they know, like, if you go to the grocery store with dad, you can always get, you always get a treat. You can get one of those, like, prime energy drinks that are, like, the, the thing. Oh, sorry, hydration drinks. <laughs> Maybe even a king-size candy bar. And so... I love giving good gifts, maybe aren't good for my children, but I love giving good gifts to my kids. How much more God and his benevolence, the, the fact that he gave his son to us, that is the, the foundational piece. If God is for us, think about how much more he will give to you. Think about how he thinks about you. This is amazing grace. Second, the M. Me. God chose me. We see this. It says before, he, he says he foreknew, he predestined, he called, he, he justified, he glorified. Why me? Have you ever thought about that? That God in his sovereignty would choose me. It says in verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect, those that are chosen? It is God who justifies. This is a judicial term, meaning that this is about justification. God has said, you are innocent because of my son, and you are justified. God, in his sovereignty, chose me. I love in Isaiah chapter 50, the prophet Isaiah writes about this nearness to God and this incredible privilege of this relationship with God. He says this, he says, he who vindicates me is what? Near. Who will contend with me? Very similar to the question Paul raises up here. He says, let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold. Pay attention. The Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a 
garment. The moth will eat them up. Have you ever thought about the incredible privilege, the incredible honor, the incredible unreasonableness that, unreasonableness that God would choose me? I think about my marriage. I think about those moments when I was to think about just what a gift it is that Brianna would choose me. As my friend Sipe says, Logan, you really married up. Yeah, I know. Amen. amen. That's the one amen I get so far. Great. <laughs> Did you ever have these moments maybe where you're just like, I, I am so blessed. And that God would choose me. If God is for us, who can be against us? Don't miss his amazing grace. Or you can say abundant grace. Both of those work for the A. Don't miss the me. Like God chose me, you, as you are. If you have been called, if you have ex experienced the goodness of God's grace, that's because God got a hold of you. He chose you. Second, third, I should say, everything is in Christ. Amen. Everything is in Christ here at Cornerstone. We love to say Jesus changes everything. Look at what Paul says in verse 34. As he's talking to the beloved, as he's talking to those people who may be in some, some persecution and some suffering, having some questions, look at what he says. He says, who is to condemn? He says, Christ Jesus, he's the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Paul lays out the gospel here. He says, Jesus, he came, he died a death that you should and I should have died. He paid the price that we should have paid. And not only did he die the death, he also resurrected and defeated death, and death has no more sting. And right now in this moment, he is reigning standing in glory, interceding for you, working for you. He's not just like, well, I'll come back eventually and I'll make all things right. In the meantime, like, good luck, humans. I did enough. No, Jesus is continuing Everything, his work of Jesus changing everything doesn't just start and end in justification in his work of making us right with God. He's changing us, sanctification, onwards more and more into his image. Everything that is good is in him. And so we have the amazing grace. We have the me that God chose me. And then we also have that, the, the incredible beauty that everything, is in Jesus, is in Christ. Don't forget, remember, chapter eight is a part of a long letter. Don't forget, how do we open up Romans chapter eight? Because it's talking about who, who can condemn you? Who can say, you know what? You don't deserve that. You're not good enough. I know what you've done. I know how, how your weekend went. I know the, the mistakes you made or the things that have happened to you. Paul says, there is therefore what? Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Everything is in Christ Jesus for those that are chosen. Don't miss that. And all of this, I believe, leads to a crescendo to the final proof that Paul is 
urging you and me to get deep inside of us, and that is this, nothing can separate. Nothing can separate. Steve Moody says, there's nothing that you can do to make God love you less. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. Nothing can separate us from him. If God is for us, it, it shifts the focus from me and the things that I do to who God is and what he says and what he's done. Do you see what Paul's doing here? He says, if God is for us, we have his amazing grace. We have the incredible confession that he's chosen me and that everything is in him and finally that nothing can separate. Look at the beauty of verse 35 says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Every single time here he brings up these questions and then he gives an answer. He says, shall tribulation or distress Shall persecution or famine, hunger, nakedness, danger or sword? He says, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Here Paul is quoting a psalm, Psalm 44. It's a psalm of lament, a psalm of crying out to the Lord. Calvin says, it's suffering and trial is no new thing to the people of God. But the people of God continue to hold to the confession that if God is for us, who can be against us? And Paul, what I love about Paul is he doesn't write from a comfortable um, uninformed place. Paul himself went through quite a lot. He wrote this from experience. In 2 Corinthians 11, as he's writing to the church, he talks about some of the things that he went through. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less, less one, that's 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Stoned, that is being, having rocks thrown at you, just in case you know. Not smoking, it's uh, having rocks thrown at you. <laughs> he says, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship. Though many asleep, through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from these other things, there is the daily pressure of me on my anxiety for all the churches. Paul gets this. And he's writing to the early church, and he's writing to the church, this, 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 this newborn church, they're brand new, the, the people of the new covenant of the gospel of Jesus, and they are in this tender time 
and there's this persecution, and there's this suffering, and there's this, these questions, and there's this concern about their future, and Paul is writing to the church, and he's telling them, listen, beloved, if God is for you, who can be against you? Don't miss this. I know right now it seems difficult. I know these momentary trials are overwhelming. He says, take heart. He's continuing this. This is the exclamation point to this. Now, if you're anything like me, I read this, and I think, well, what, what does this mean for me? Like, that's a pretty impressive list. I'm, I'm not sure that I can relate to most of that kind of suffering here in or the place that we live. I haven't quite experienced um, being beaten to death or close to death or having my faith be a reason for imprisonment. I can relate to some of these struggles and some of these challenges, but it, I think one of the challenges for us as we read this in the, the Western world on this side of Christendom, when Christianity has become more of a common religion, is that it can be easy to think, well, this doesn't apply to us. But yet we still are constantly faced with challenges to our faith. But perhaps it comes in different shapes and sizes. Perhaps it's not so much about the persecution and the suffering, although that could be the case for some of us. Perhaps it's more actually on the other side of our tendency towards convenience and comfort of our tendency towards wanting to be safe, of our tendency towards security versus the call of Jesus to go into difficult, challenging things. Charles Spurgeon delivered a sermon on this passage, We Are More Than Conquerors, and he wrote about this, and I found it really convicting. He said this, your danger, as he's writing to the church, is lest you grow rich and become proud. Lest you give yourselves up to the fashions of this present evil world and you lose your faith. If you cannot be torn in pieces by the roaring lion, you may be, I love this, hugged to death by the bear. And the devil little cares which, is, which it is so long as he gets your love to Christ out of you and destroys your confidence in him whatever it may be, Paul is writing to you and me and he's calling us to this assurance and this confidence in who God is. He's calling us to this confession of faith. And so he writes this and then look at what he says here. He says, no, what shall we say to these things? Not only if God is for us, who should be against us? Second, in all these things, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Tina. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Amen. In this passage, as Paul is writing, 
Notice he says this, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him. How are we more than conquerors? Through him, Jesus, who loved us. God's love for us. And I think it can be really easy. We can, we can get so caught up in like the things that we should do to be, to overcome. And we can read these verses and we can be like, okay, I get this. So this means like, okay, Tristan, in that football game on Friday, you, you are more than a conqueror. You can win that game, win the game for Jesus. Uh, in your business, you can be more than a conqueror. In, 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 in your, in, in your uh, finances, you can be more than a conqueror. And that is not what Jesus is saying. That is not what God is saying. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about the, the call to, to life in Christ. It's not about prosperity. It, it's about the call to the goodness of belonging to Christ. That in all these things, we are more than conquerors. That truly, our amen that we call out, it only happens through Jesus. We can't even truly experience the amen without his work, without his power. And this is why we are more than conquerors. It's not just that it's this radical, this more than conquerors in the Greek. It's like saying we are super conquerors. We are conqueror conquerors. And the only way we can do that is we need someone outside of us to do that and to take care of our sin and our struggle by his grace. And it can be really easy to read this passage and to make this all about the things that I can do. And to slap a bumper sticker on that or to throw that sign up or to, or to get that meme out and to be, make this all about me and you're totally missing the point of the gospel that it is the power of God to save. And that we are more than conquerors in Christ. This is the story of the gospel. In Corinthians, Paul writes this. He says, for all the promises of God find their what? Yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Or in Revelation, the final book of the scriptures, when it describes Christ, it says this, to the angel of the church in Laodicea writes, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Don't miss Jesus, beloved, in your amens. Don't miss your dependence and your utter reliance on Jesus in your amens. This last week at the women's uh, event, I got to pull my pastor card and show up to the women's event. And I got to hear Whitney Capps bring the word, the gospel to our ladies. And she said something that I thought was really profound. She says, she asked this question, have you switched from a gospel-centered life to a gospel adjacent life? Is, is the gospel truly the center of all that you do or is it more secondary to other things? I found this challenging. 
And as we think about what it means to, to truly confess, if God is for us, who can be against us? Our focus, hear this, is not so much on the things that we're doing, but on the God who's doing them. And he's still calling us into work. That doesn't mean that we sit back and do nothing. No, we go and we do things that are way bigger than we could ever ask or imagine. But that's out of our dependence upon his leading by his spirit doing a work in us. And in that, we are more than conquerors. And as you think on that, as you reflect on that, Paul wants to make this final exclamation point. He wants to make sure you know that the reason that we can count on this, that the reason that we can confess that in all these things we are more than conquerors, it's this. It's because you can't lose the love of God. There's nothing that you can do to lose the love of God. There's no experience that you can have There's no tragedy that you can go through. There's no sin that you can commit. Let me say that again. There's no sin that you can commit that can cause you to lose the love of God and and, and not be able to receive his grace. We need to hear this. This is why Paul says this in verse 38 and following. Just, I just want to read this to you. I don't even got to unpack it too much. Just look at what he says here. He says, for I am sure, or I love in the King James version that Rick recited for us, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, angels nor rulers, even, even in the heavenly realms, evil spirits, nor things present, nor things that are happening right now, nor things to come, things that you're worried about in your future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nothing, nothing in all the space, nor anything else in all creation will be able to what? Separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at what Paul's doing here. He's restating the end. Nothing can separate us. Nothing. And we need to be having this amen, this, this, this way of thinking in us because we are constantly finding ourselves starting to believe the lie that we can be separated from God. And the reality of this is that if you have confessed your faith in Jesus and you belong to him, nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing. Tim Keller, in his commentary, he says this, think. Are you afraid? You aren't thinking. Are you worried? Verse 32, you aren't thinking. Are you feeling guilty? You aren't thinking. See the logic of free grace and justification. These aren't dry doctrines, they are life itself. And if you are not living with overwhelming assurance and power, you haven't really fully understood them. The remedy is to read, reread, deeply ponder, and learn to live out of the truths of verses 18 through 30. Beloved, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And so as you think on this, my hope 
as we, as, we, as we wrap up Romans 8, as we think about the incredible gift of being a child of God, my hope is that, that you are reminded of the gospel today. That you are reminded when you, that you are invited to declare amen over your life. And that amen is rooted in the amazing grace and the fact that God chose me and the fact that everything is in him and that nothing can separate you. This past week, I also got to go to the men's steak night. It's quite a week for me, for us. My favorite weeks of the year, just filling this place up and just being so inspired by the gospel. Our speaker, Chad, he shared this transparent and raw telling of the gospel from his own perspective and the incredible work that God does of emptying us of ourselves and filling us with him. Or even, as the ladies' speaker said, the gospel is not about bad things becoming good. It's about dead things coming to life. And as I was listening to Chad, and he was sharing the good news of the gospel, and he was unpacking who Jesus is and his love for us and the lengths that he went for us, I I, I had this moment of just being overwhelmed at the gospel. Have you ever been so overwhelmed that literally you could feel tears going down your face? I got to have one of those moments. Because of what God has done for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? And I don't know what's happening in all your guys' lives. But I do believe that this passage is one that we need to have deep within us. We need to internalize and, and, and continue to preach to ourselves. If you could memorize one thing, I would say memorize this. And remember, it's not about what you're doing, it's about what God is doing. So my hope to you this week is that you would have your eyes fixed on Jesus. In a few moments, we're going to have the deacons come down for the tithes and offerings. We actually switched this to coming after uh, the sermon today. This is more of a time of response. And we're going to be singing a new song called All Eyes on Jesus. And my hope is, is, is that as this new song is sung over you, as the, as the offering is passed around, that as a church, we would have some time just to reflect on our amen. What's your amen? We would have some time to to reflect that our amen is Christ himself and Jesus is not dead. Right now in this moment, you, brother, sister in Christ, you can pray to the almighty God and Jesus hears you. And he's there for you and he invites you in and I encourage you as we pray, as we take the tithes and offerings, as we respond to God's word, I encourage you, pour out your heart to the Savior. Experience his amazing 
grace. Give, once again, give your heart to him. And confess your faith in him. Would you pray with me? Spirit of God, I'm so grateful, God, for these moments when, when the, the attention goes from being a me-centered universe to being a Christ-centered universe, God. God, this universe is centered around you. How great thou art. You are so good. You are God. And Lord, I just ask in this moment as we prepare to respond in worship, God, I pray, God, that that you would speak to each of us into each of our weeks, into each of our days, into, into our relationships, into our workplaces, into our school, into our future. And God, that this truth, that if God is for us, that, that right now, God, we would, we would picture in our mind your eyes looking at us. And that when you see us, you, you sent your son to die for us so that we could call you Abba, Father. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to continue to follow you in your kingdom. And we give this to you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.